Isaiah 43, verse 5, is where we'll begin our reading this, this week. As many of you know, Sarah Ballard gave birth to a baby girl this week, and I gave birth to twins this week. Uh, not physical twins, but two sermons where I thought I was gonna, only going to have one. So uh, we're going to spend two weeks on the outline that I've given you. I'm going to cover the first two points today and the next two points next week. So uh, one more week. I don't think it will hurt anybody's feelings to spend one more week in this wonderful passage of Isaiah 43. Uh, such an encouraging passage for us as we travel uh, on our pilgrimage during our lives on earth and to hear what God says his wonderful promises to his people. Now, in, uh, it, we haven't mentioned this over the past few weeks that we've been looking at Isaiah 43, but God's message to his people here uh, points them to past, present, and future. So it, it looks to the past calling and the redemption that God provides for his people, has provided for his people, it addresses their present trials when it talks about when you pass through the, the waters and when you walk through the fire. But it also looks forward to future blessedness, the future blessedness of God's people. And that's what we're looking at today, the future. Uh, what the future holds for the people of God as we read Isaiah 43, 5 through 7. Here now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Well, when I was young, I was excited about the future. There was a reason for hope. Uh, my generation was the first to see and experience great leaps in technology. We had the first video game consoles. We were the first to experience being able to buy movies on videotape, whereas before you had to either go to the movies and then to see the movie again, you had to wait for them to, to show it on television. Uh, and we did only have three channels, so the, the, uh, the actual chances of that happening were very slim. Um, we were the first to have cell phones within our, our lifetimes. And within my lifetime, space exploration really blossomed and came to fruition. We had uh, uh, people flying to the moon, walking around, and then coming back, and it had never been done before. The economy has been uh, flourishing during my lifetime uh, at certain periods. It has really boomed. There were oil booms, real estate booms, technology booms. Politically, democracy was winning with the collapse of communism in the Soviet Union, ending the Cold War. So technology, the economy, the fall of the Berlin Wall, all this and more made us sing in the 80s, the future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. Some of you will remember that song. 
But now that I'm getting older, I don't feel so optimistic like I once did. And I believe I'm not alone in feeling this way. I have uh, sensed a general angst uh, about the future amongst many people today. You know, we look at technology now and we're a bit more cynical about it. Technology has not necessarily made our, our lives easier. It's made them busier. Uh, we can't escape our cell phones. We, can't, we never seem to be able to leave work. It follows us around. We carry it with us in our pocket. And of course, with computers, we can always work day and night. We are overwhelmed with information that comes to us at a at an, at, a, at an unbelievable rate. And our children don't go outside anymore because they're inside playing video games. Soul-destroying pornography is available and accessible at the touch of a button to even our children through the Internet. And the economy isn't doing so well as it once did. And we see the enemies of democracy gaining power in the world. And immorality seems to be running rampant in our society. Now, as I reflected on these things, I was thinking about the future and my feelings towards the future. Another song popped into my head from the late 70s, uh, the punk rock anthem, God Save the Queen. At the end of that song, Johnny Rotten sneers as he screams over and over, no future. No future, no future for you. No future, no future, no future for me. Is it me? Am I losing my youthful naivety about the future as I grow older? My future shrinking. You know, there's not that much of it left on this earth. Hopefully a good bit more, but not as much as there once was. Does that make our naivety about the future go away? Am I becoming uh, a cynical old man? And is this what happens to a person when they get older? I fear for my children and what the future holds for them as I see all the changes going about, around about me. And then I ask, does every generation feel this way about the coming generation? Is there some feeling that, hey, the next generation is always going to be worse off than we were? Or has there been a generation that that uh, passed away hopeful about their children and grandchildren, that things were getting better and they felt like, hey, my children are going to have it better than I did. I believe that has happened in the past, but it doesn't seem to happen recently. Well, surely, uh, surely I'm making you all depressed, <laughs> and, and surely Isaiah's audience was feeling the same way. Uh, their way of life was destroyed by the Babylonians. And they were, their land was ransacked and they were kicked out of their country, scattered all over the map. They had reasons to not only fear the present, what they were experiencing, but they had really uh, not a lot of hope for the future because the way of life they had always known was gone. And they were living in foreign lands. What did the future hold for them. Well, God had a wonderful message of hope for the future, for them, and he has one for us today. Great message of hope. And he says to his people, fear not, 
And those who are God's people, no matter what their circumstances are, they never have reason to fear for the future. If you have a, a fear of the future, this, this message is for you today. Because as a Christian, the Christian has a secure hope for the future that is 1,000% guaranteed. And this passage gives us four reasons, two of which we will look at today, why Christians need not to be afraid for the future. Now first, Christians should not fear because they have God with them. You see that in the very first phrase that we read. Fear not, for I am with you. The Israelites had been thrown out of their land, scattered into the surrounding nations. But wherever they are, God says, I am with you. You know, maybe they thought that having God there in the temple, his presence in the temple in Jerusalem, um, that now that the temple's destroyed and that, that they were scattered away from Jerusalem, that they no longer had God's presence with them. But God reassures them, saying, I am with you. You may be in Babylon, you may be in some other land, but I am with you, wherever you are. Their way was not hidden from the Lord. Even though they were going through very difficult times, even though their, their future didn't look so bright, God was with them. He knew their trouble and difficulty. Now we might wonder to ourselves, why is life so difficult? Now there is a, a strain of false teaching within Christianity that says if you're a faithful Christian, you will always be healthy and wealthy and everything will go, uh, will go wonderfully in your life. Now, anybody that, that believes that seriously has not read the Bible because the Bible does not say that at all anywhere. I don't know where you would get that from. You take things out of context, of course, that's, that's where it comes from. But the people of God, according to the Bible, are always facing trouble and difficulty. They're not shielded from the results of the curse of death and decay described for us in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, they're not shielded from the enemies of Christ and his kingdom. But what God has promised to the Christian is that even through trial and difficulty, God is always with us. Look at verse 2. We didn't read it today. We've read it the last few weeks. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire... You shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. See, that little word when means that there will be floods. There will be fire in your life. There will be difficult circumstances with which you have to deal. But when you experience those, God will walk with you through them. Now, our future our children's future, our grandchildren's future may be fraught with all kinds of difficulty, but believers have no reason to fear. God is with us through the flood and the flame. Through it, it says, implying that we will reach the other side. We will go through it. We will go from one side of the river to the other side of the river, and that's guaranteed. Now the challenge for us as, as Christians is as we experience these difficult circumstances. Uh, we must refrain from running to idols for comfort, security, and hope in the midst of our trials instead of to the Lord, which is often the case. How many of us turn to 
food or drink or sleep to give us comfort in times of trouble or to the mall or to the beauty parlor to make us feel better or maybe uh, we double down on work thinking that money, having more money in our bank accounts will keep us secure. Now food and drink and sleep and material goods and, and good personal hygiene and, and uh, money are not bad things but they are when they become God's substitutes. Anything that we, we look to to give us what only God can really give us, that's idolatry. That's worshiping created things rather than the Creator. But the truth of the matter is that God is better and stronger than anything we might sub in His place. And he has promised to always be with us, which idols cannot be. And whatever the future holds, we are guaranteed his presence and help. So, put your faith in him in the midst of your flood and fire, flood and fire of your life. Trust in him, and he will walk with you through it. If, if you're on your own, not a good place to be and the future is very bleak but for the Christian no fear because God is with them now the second thing we see here is that Christians should not fear because they will be gathered uh, now this this is a direct reference to the return of the remnant of Israel from the Babylonian exile the Babylonians came in they destroyed Jerusalem they kicked everybody out, and, and they had a foreign policy of, of taking uh, this conquered group from here and moving them over there, and that one from here and coming over here, and they'd mix all these peoples up, and if you don't speak the same language as your neighbor uh, or have the same culture, you really don't connect with them, and the less like you, likely you are to connect with your neighbor, the less likely you are to rebel against the government. That's why Babylon had that policy. Mixed everybody up that they had conquered. And so here the people of God, they were scattered all over the map. But God says, I'm going to bring you back together. And yeah, it had been uh, an exile that was at root caused by their own sin. They were the ones who brought this upon themselves by their idolatry and their wickedness. And the temptation would be for them to think that God had rejected and abandoned them because of their sin. But this sweet promise comes to them. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. They had reason to think that it was all over. And to be hopeless, God is saying, I'm going I'm to bring you from wherever you might be, even from the ends of the earth. I'm going to gather you together. Those people had been through horrific suffering, intense shame and overwhelming difficulty in their lives, but God promised them restoration. They would be get, gathered together again by him. And this is true not only of that original audience, but it is also true of the church and individual members of the church. In fact, it's God's mode of operation 
to gather his people to himself. And of course, that kind of language is used through all of Scripture uh, in, in many different contexts. So, for example, when one faces physical death, dying, uh, when we die as Christians, we are gathered to the Lord and to his people. And that kind of language is used throughout the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, in the, in the, in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible. Just give you several examples. Uh, when Abraham died, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Genesis 49, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. In Deuteronomy 32:50, God instructs Moses that he will die on the mountain which you go up and you will be gathered to your people just as Aaron, your brother, died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. It's a, it's a common phrase that was used throughout the Old Testament to talk about that, that when a person dies, they were gathered to the Lord and to his people. The Bible also talks about what if, we, what if the Lord returns? What if Christ returns before we die? Paul refers to the second coming of Christ in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in these terms. He talks about uh, questions concerning the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together in him. When Christ returns, he's going to gather his people up. And of course, Jesus told several parables about that, about the tares and the wheat and how they'd be separated and the, uh, and the wheat would be gathered up and, and put into the barn. If Jesus returns before we die, we are gathered to him. And this is Christ's purpose in coming to earth, to gather a people for himself. You remember after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, this really upset the religious leaders in Jerusalem. The news about Jesus was spreading. People were excited about what they'd heard. And they said, John 11, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He's implying that they should seek to put Christ to death. But here's John's comment about it. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad, so that from that day on they made plans to put him to death. He is gathering people from abroad, from all over the map, to be his family, to be his people. This very day, Christ is gathering people to himself, a people for his own possession, a people to belong to his family forever. When people turn to him in faith, they become his people who have the assurance that though this brief life may be a veil of tears, eternity will find us forever with the Lord and his people, and there will be no more sin or tears or death in that place. Do you know this assurance today? 
Do you know that you are one of God's people? Now, to be included in that number is not something that you earn or deserve. You can't work your way into that relationship. You can't try to uh, curry God's favor by your good deeds. No, it's, it's much easier than that. One simply has to turn to Christ to respond in trust to His offer of grace and forgiveness. So many people reject Christ like, like the people of Jerusalem did. Jesus pronounces a, uh, a, a lament over Jerusalem in Matthew 23. He says, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing Are you willing today to be gathered to Him? Are you willing today to come to Him, to give yourself to Him with all your brokenness and problems and sin and shortcomings? And when you you do, He'll do the rest. He will clean you up. He will begin to work in you uh, holiness. He will begin to mold and shape you into his own image, that you would become like Christ in every respect. Of course, it's a work in progress. We're all Christians, they're all works in progress. And that's what he's doing. He's gathering his people, he's making them holy. Uh, the writer of Ephesians used the, the, the idea of a bride. It's like having a, a bride that he's cleansing, he's, he's uh, washing her, and he's providing a, a beautiful dress for her so he, this bride can be presented to him and they can live together forever. But just coming to him with all your brokenness and sin and, and asking his forgiveness and that God would come and change you and save you and gather you in to the church, to his people. Now maybe you are a Christian today, but you find yourself walking in fear, fear for the future, fear for your children, kind of like what I was talking about earlier about my own thoughts on the future. When I was younger, as I described earlier, my hope was in earthly things. Technology, the economy, democracy. I was fooled into thinking that we're just, we're just moving in such a positive direction. The, the future's great. Well, those hopes have disappointed me because they are worthless idols. They do not see or hear. They can't help me really in any way especially when I face the difficulties and trials of life, and even more so when I face death, the final, ultimate enemy. Only the Lord can help me. Only the Lord can help you in the midst of the trials of life, and especially the ultimate trial of death, because he is the only one who has conquered death. He has defeated that enemy by by rising up from the grave. He came back from death. He is master of death. He holds the keys to death and to Hades, the scriptures tell us. And only when we come to him can we have that assurance that our future is secure, even though we may go through trials, even though we may experience a physical death. Let me encourage everyone today to put your hope 
in the steadfast love of the Lord. I want to conclude by reading a portion of Psalm 147. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. Maybe you feel like an outcast today. He's calling you to be gathered in to his people. All who have faith are the Israel of God. All who, who have faith are the children of Abraham, uh, Paul tells us in the New Testament. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. And listen to this. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Let's pray together. Father, we, we pray today that you would help us all to hope in your steadfast love, to find there an anchor for our souls. Lord, we pray that, that as we experience the difficulties of life, that we would not forget you, but we would run to you and rest in you. And that, Lord, if anyone is here today who is not part of your people, that you would work by the power of your Spirit in their lives to to regenerate them and change them and, and to uh, cause them to cry out to you in faith. Lord, we pray that, thank you, we, we pray thanks to you because you've said that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and you have also said that anyone who comes to you will not be cast out. Lord, we pray that you would encourage our hearts again with this good news salvation in Christ. And may we carry it with us as we leave this place and may we always walk in line with the truth of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.